this morning, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you will. And again, while everybody's getting uh, rearranged and so forth, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Uh, again, in the back back there is today's references. Make sure that you have that uh, uh, for this morning if you'd like. Otherwise, it is on the overhead. And we're going to be talking about some things here that also on the back above the offering box by the pens there, there's a little handout of Southwest Bible Fellowship is about, and there's five items listed, and uh, those are available if you'd like an extra one apart from the handout. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. I want to spend this, this month of October, if you will, talking about who we are. Uh, Southwest Bible Fellowship, who we are, what we're about, and really several years ago, I was sitting trying to come up with an, a way to, I had a question. So what do you guys teach? What do you believe? What are you all about? You know, and I was trying to figure out an easy way to say it. And, you know, so as many, as few as words as possible and as few as verses as possible. And I was talking to my dad and he shared with me what they did there at, at the, what they do there at Shorewood. And uh, these five points came out of it. Uh, and, and, and actually, they used these there, and, and I borrowed them because they were good. And they express exactly what and who we are and what we're all about. Uh, we are, there's five points to it here. We are uh, about a gospel that you can believe. And again, that'll be the Apostle Paul's my gospel. We're about a Bible you can trust and that, the Word of God, that's found in the King James Bible for English-speaking people. We are about a study you can understand, and that's that issue of dispensational Bible study, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We are about a life that you can live, and that's the grace life. And then we are about a purpose you can fulfill, and that's going to be that eternal purpose of God. Because as we... As you think about this and as you think about who we are, what we preach, what we teach, and what we stand for and so forth, there's really, everybody wants to feel accepted. Well, we're accepted in Christ. How do we get it? The gospel. Everybody wants to feel important and a part of it. Well, we got to study, figure that out, the grace life, and then the purpose. And as we begin to look at those, I just wanted to spend this month, it's got five Sundays, one a Sunday, pretty easy math, okay? And then we'll get into the holidays, because then the holidays are here, and, you know, the, when the holidays come, everything else goes out the windows, usually. Not for me, but usually for everyone else. Second Corinthians chapter 4, I just wanted to start here with our ministry verse, the, the, the verse that we use to kind of motivate and what, what, gener what motivates us as in our ministry here at Southwest Bible Fellowship. And for me, Paul says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. That is what we're about here. We are about the commending of the truth, the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's what we're about. Uh, Romans 4, in verse number 3, right, hold on to 2 Corinthians there, right above the double doors coming in is the beginning of this verse. He says, uh, Romans 4, verse 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. And I, we were at the fair, the, the, the state fair, a couple years ago, and, you know, they got the wood carving guy. He'll take your money just as much as everybody else will. So I went over and I said, this is what I want. I want what saith the scriptures, Romans 4, 3. And he did it, and it sits across your above. By the way, it cost me, you know, not a dollar. It cost a dollar or three or four or 25 or something like that. I don't remember. But it's... What, what saith the Scripture? That's how we commend the truth to every man's conscience. What does the Scripture say? And that's why we have to have a study we can understand. We have to have a Bible we can believe. And that gives us then a purpose and a life that we can go live. But it starts with a gospel that we can believe, that you can believe. The, the apostle, the my gospel of our apostle. 
And again, as we begin to think about, go back there to 2 Corinthians 4, have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. You know, if you visit our website at all, you know instantly what we are all about and who we are. I don't have a fancy name on there. We don't have this or we don't have the gimmicks to make you, you know, in, in church marketing, and believe it or not, there is a field for church of church marketing. You can actually get a degree in it from some of the seminary, seminary schools, okay? In church marketing, they say, in your name, don't tell people who you are. Give them harvest. What's that? How about uh, the new life? What is that? Keep them guessing. Get them in the door. Get them in. Get them in the pew. Then you can tell them if you want or wait till a Wednesday night, more in-depth Bible study on Wednesday night. And then you can tell them. It, it, by the way, if you come around here and you go down, there's a church over here on 13th and Mill. If you look at their name, you don't know, but right below their name in little letters is SBC. You know what that stands for? Southern Baptist Convention. They don't put it in their name. They don't even put the word Baptist in their name anymore. Why? Because in marketing, what, what happens? People have preconceived ideas of what the Southern Baptist Convention is all about. So why tell people who you are? You want to get them in the door. Then we'll worry about telling them who we are. See, that's gimmicks. That's being dishonest. That's, that's walking in craftiness. We got a thing over here, and we'll get there, and then we're going to hit you with this. We got this going over here. And growing up in the city of Chicago, uh, we, we, there was a bus ministry, you know, a, a big Baptist church in Hammond, Indiana, <laughs> sending the buses into the city to get the youth. And you know how they would do it to get the youth? They would say, today we're feeding hot dogs. Well, I want a hot dog, so let's go. We're going to church. And they'd get on the bus, and they would go and get their hot dog. And then, or one next Sunday, they would be, we're doing this, we're doing, that's craftiness, that's gimmicks. Deceitfully, handling the word of God deceitfully. That's taking the word of God and saying it says this when it's really saying something else. That's a non-dispensational Bible study. That's coming along and saying this is what he's talking about, and eh, really it's not. It's something else completely. You see, so we picked that verse years ago as we got started because what are we about? We're about commending the truth to every man's conscience. And if your conscience is looking for the truth, then what saith the Scripture? Here's the truth. I've never, it's never been about me. It's never been about where I came from, my upbringing, my education, or any of that, or lack of. It's always about what does Scripture say. And as we, got the, as we think about the... By the way, you want my verse for ministry, come back to chapter 1 and verse 24. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. Here's my ministry verse. For that we have, I'm not, for that we have dominion. No, not, not yeah, Floridian, yeah, there you go. Flor, Flor, Florida slip there. Not, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. And that's always been my motto. That's always been my thought. Okay? I know people don't like me. I know people, I rub them the wrong way. Whoop-de-doo for your Subaru. I don't really care. Okay? We're here. You can YouTube it. It's there. Trust me. Okay? We're here. We're commending the truth. We're preaching the truth. If you want the truth, this is where you're going to find the truth. I'm not here to run your life. I have a hard enough time running my own. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. Okay? Ask my kids. They'll tell you. My job is, my goal is to get, here's the truth. Let's build you up. You go live and walk where you're at. And in thinking about these, it all starts with that issue. Come on over to Acts 20. With that issue of a gospel that you can believe. And as we began the year in the grace reset and rethinking some principles here, this fits in that, and uh, in, in, in that rethinking of things and rethinking how we're looking at the world about us and around us. And these, these little points, as small as they may appear to you and I or as prominent and, and profound as they may, these are really literally the bedrock of everything that we're about here. 
And everything that we have, it begins at Calvary. That's why we sang those songs. I know some of you are new to them because of what they were. T- Tell me the story of Jesus on how he was born. I got to get, I got to know that. I under, need to understand that. Tell me how he suffered. Tell me how he went and died for me. Why? Because, man, I got to write it in my heart. Why? Because that's, that's the bedrock of everything. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, Paul says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Boy, isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to say, I want to finish my life, my course, with joy? Paul, You think you had it bad? Just triple times it by 100,000 is Paul. Paul didn't have an urgent care to go run and fix a broken bone. They had to splint it up and set it, and Dr. Luke would do that. And, but he didn't have the plastic surgery to fix the scars physically on him. He didn't have any of that, but yet what does he say? I want to finish my course with joy. And the ministry, look, think, Paul says the minute he doesn't just say, and by the way, you, you may not be a preacher, you may not be in leadership, but you have a ministry. All of you do. You're the ambassador for Christ. You have a ministry. You don't have to teach, but man, you do have a ministry. You have an impact on us here. You have an impact in your daily lives as you meet and interact with people. Having that foundation is critical. We just come together on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Monday nights, Friday nights. (laughs) We just get together and enjoy fellowship around, get a little reprieve from the the pew out there, the the perverse and crooked evil world we live in. Pew, perverse evil world. You heard about the skunk that came to church? He sat in his own pew? (laughs) Bada boom, okay. All right, you work on that, okay? A little dad joke there for you. I have permission to have them every now and then, okay? Every now and then, I'm, I'm told. You see, folks... Look at, watch Paul, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Isn't that wonderful? The gospel that we believe, Paul calls it here, the gospel of the grace of God. Now, there are a lot of gospels in the Bible, by the way. There's more than one. Don't let religion tell you there's only one. There's more than that. You know, there's a gospel of of the flood, of the ark. You didn't know that, did you? What did God tell Noah? I'm going to judge the world. Here's the good news. Build the ark and get in the ark. What do you think he's telling the world out there, Noah? Judgment's coming. You go read Jude where Enoch, who was there with Noah at the time. And what is Enoch? You you sinners, sinners. Every other word is the word sinner (laughs) and judgment. You see, there's a lot of different gospels, good news, Paul says the gospel we're after is the gospel of the grace of God. Come on over to Ephesians 3. By the way, in Acts 20, in the first verses there, is where the book of Romans is written. We're going to get right there to Romans, because it's in Romans that he begins to lay out, you need Ephesians 3, he begins to lay out the gospel of the grace of God. And he lays out the gospel that we, can, that we are to believe. And we are to be messaging and presenting and, tr- and trumpeting out there as his ambassadors. Ephesians 3, verse 1, Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read. See, you've got to have a Bible you can believe, because what are you to do with this? You are to read it. It's one thing to get, the, to get the testimony and the public oration of it. But you know what Peter says? We, ha- we were eyewitnesses of his glory, of his majesty, of who he is. But we need a more sure word of prophecy. Why? Eyewitness accounts can be a little off, a little different. Around the campfire, as stories get passed down, they change a little bit over time, don't they? Paul says, uh-uh, when you read what I wrote, a four and a few words, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ. How? By the gospel. So when you come to the book of Romans... As he, start, as he stated in Acts 20, 24, I'm here, I'm the teacher, I'm the due time testifier about the gospel of the grace of God, and it was given to me to give to you, and then you're to take it out and present it to the world. And we get that revelation of all that God has accomplished for you and I through the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he talks and reveals to Paul and gives to Paul the rich and deep and meaningful accomplishments and achievements of the cross, things that were never known before but now are made manifest, secret things, the things that were hid in Christ and hid in God and kept secret but now are on full display and revealed. And Paul reveals them to us in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. We'll just start here. You see, folks, we're going to talk about a gospel that you can believe. There's something in this, Paul's my gospel, that's tremendous. Verse 14, the apostle Paul starts. He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Well, all right, so who are they? Who are the Greeks and the barbarians? Keep reading, both to the wise and unwise. Do you know who the Greeks were? They're the educated class. Do you know who the barbarians were? Uneducated, unwise. He says, I'm coming in here talking to who? Everybody. I'm not, dis- I'm not making a difference between human man anymore. So, verse 15, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Notice carefully verse 15. So, as much as what? In me is. You see, Paul understood that what's going on and happening in humanity through the gospel is a transformation of that inward man, taking that old sin nature and putting it into place and establishing a new nature, a new man in its its place. Again, Paul starts right off here about the gospel. He's not whistling dicks. He's not doing anything cheap here. He says, this is designed to impact you completely. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you know what everybody does is they run, we'll see, to the Jew first and to the Greek, and they miss the beginning of that verse. To the Jew first and to the Greek is insignificant to the rest of that verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I know the gospel works. Look at what it did to me. I know that it is able to take someone who's a blasphemer and injurious and a persecutor and completely change them. I'm not ashamed of it. I know that it works. Why? For it is the power of God. Everybody wants to have the power of God in their life. And you know what every one of you that say that will do? You're thinking external. You're thinking zap that guy because he cut me off in the road. Come on, God, you can zap him. You know that the power of God, so as much as in me is. You see, the power of God is working internally. He's not working externally on you. Now, he works externally, but how? Through you, in you, outward. You see, Paul's tar- he's, he, he says, look, guys, I'm ready. You know why I'm ready? I owe a debt to humanity. And this isn't a debt to go pay something back like you do on a mortgage. He says, I have the message. I understand the message here. I understand what Christ and what God's trying to accomplish at the cross and at Calvary. And I'm ready to preach the gospel. And what motivates Paul to go do it is that debt of love that he owes to humanity. That's the same debt you and I owe to humanity. That who we come in contact, you're not going to save the world. Quit trying. But you can sure impact your severe, your Sphere of influence. I guess I shouldn't have had that water in the middle. (laughs) Should have left the mouth dry. Okay? You see, you can have that. We have a debt here. Why? Because we know something. We know where the power is. We know where the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And Paul starts here. 
because the power of God is not an outward working. It's an inward working where he takes you and he transforms you and your inner man. Then in verse 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And he begins to lay out the written indictment against humanity. Come over to chapter 3. And that written indictment says it doesn't matter. Chapter 3, verse 9, What then are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. The written indictment of God's word says all of humanity is a sinner. doesn't matter where you think you are, what class you claim, you are a sinner. And you're in jeopardy of eternal life in the lake of fire. You're in jeopardy of that. That sits there. It's right there in front of you. But God. Isn't that wonderful? Don't ever miss the but gods. Verse 19, he says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You think keeping the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments is going to get you into heaven? You've got a rude awakening coming when you get there. Because you're not going to get there. That's strong. That's why Romans sits as the first book of Paul. Could you imagine being a Jew coming through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts and then all of a sudden see a book written to your arch enemy, Rome? What's this? How startling it is. What is that? And Paul begins now to set and, and bring that legal case to a conclusion in this part of the first installment of the guilt phase, the proof that you're guilty. And Romans 3 becomes the greatest exposition on the gospel that we're to believe. Because look at verse, 19, or verse 21, but now. Think about that. In verse 19 and 20, in the context, in time past, the dispensational setting here, back there before Paul, before the revelation given to Paul, what was the world? Guilty. What were you? Guilty. But now. You see, folks, by Adam comes the entrance of sin. By the law comes the knowledge of sin, and by the grace of God comes the forgiveness of sin. The law says you can't do it. You can't get to God because you're a sinner. You're guilty. No one is justified under the law. The law is pointing everybody to Calvary to the cross. You know why you can't get in under the law? Because you're a failure. You're a loser. You're guilty. You have no standing. You're a dog. You're an enemy. But now, God is going to do something. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Amen is right. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. By the way, the witness there is, is that the grace of God, the righteousness of God has always been talked about back there. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Don't let the new books change that to by faith in Christ. This is not your faithfulness. Your faith is coming. Don't worry. This is His faithfulness. This is His faith. This is the faith of Christ. By faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. You see that upon all them that believe, there's your faith in Christ. We're talking about His faithfulness, His, His worthiness to be trusted. 
and to be believed. He's the one providing the righteousness of God. He's doing that, not you, not you trying to catch up. Remember, you're guilty. You're a dog. You're nobody. You're a sinner. You're an enemy. But what did he do? He went and died for you. Unto all. I love that. It's available to everyone. It, it's, it's, it's readily there. When Paul says that we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. You see, he's the Savior of all men. Yeah. It's, un, it's unto all. It's just not imputed to you until when? Until you believe. It's upon. It's applied to only those who believe. Come back, come back with me to Titus 1. You gotta just, we're gonna kind of just jump in here a little bit. Titus 1. You gotta think about this. God made a promise. Titus 1, verse 2. You see, folks, but now the righteousness of God without the law. And then it's by the faith of Jesus Christ, and it's made available unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Look at Titus 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised when? When does he make this promise? After Genesis 1, 1? No. Before the world began. Before the world began, who was there? The Godhead. That's it. Nobody else. No angelic realm. No cherubs. No seraphims. None of them. He hadn't created anything yet. The Godhead sits there and says, we're going to have a plan of redemption for humanity. And here's what it's going to look like. And the Father lays out the plan called glory. And the Son says, I'm playing that role if that's okay with you, Father. And He says, that's good. The Holy Spirit says, I'm playing that role if that's good. And they they in harmony and perfect unity, working together, develop a plan of redemption. He promised eternal life, but the promise was made with Himself, with the three of them, as they bind themselves together in an agreement, willingly, not forced, not law, not legal, graciously come together. And that's what Paul's laying out. If you go back to Romans 3, God made a promise to each other to provide redemption, salvation for all of humanity. And it's going to be in His Son. And you have to be in His Son to have eternal life. And that's what Romans 3 is laying out here in verse 22. Unto all. It's made available to everybody, but it's upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Do you know in God's mind there was a difference in humanity? In time past, there was the Jews, His people, and then everybody else. And unless you were in his, this side of the, of the wall... You were just cut off. You were Gentiles. You were dogs. You are nothing. You're without Christ, without hope, without God. Aliens. You're the real aliens, by the way, <laughs> just so you know. You see? You, you. But now he tore all that down because of, because of Calvary. So verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know why there's no difference? Because we're all sinners. You see, 23 doesn't stand on its own. 23 stands at the end of verse 22. There is no difference. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no difference today. Why? Because we're all sinners. Sinner, sinner, sinner. You're guilty. And you know what you need? You need a Savior. Therefore, verse 24, being justified, how? Freely. The contrast to the law. The law says you perform or else, do it or else. God's grace, the gospel, the grace of God comes in and says, you know what? No, it's a free gift. Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely, what a great grace word. What a word that describes the grace of God the very fact that He is free to do for you on your behalf because of the finished work of Christ at Calvary. 
He's free. There's nothing holding him back. There's nothing in the way. Why? He's free. Why? Because Christ took care of the law. Christ is going to pay. That's what verse 25 is about. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness that He might be just and justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. It's interesting. Look at verse 25. By the way, freely. You've got to come over to Romans 8, just real quick. Romans 8. You think about that, freely. That's the word Eve left out in Genesis 3 in the conversation with the adversary. She added a word, touch. We can't touch it. That's the law. Touch not, taste not, handle not. That's the law. Don't do it. Freely. God said to Adam and Eve, you can freely eat. You just can't eat of this one. He didn't even tell them you can't touch it. He just says you can't eat of it. She left that out. She took God's grace out of the situation and put the law in. And as soon as the law comes in, the law comes the what? The knowledge of sin. She's guilty. Romans 8, if you look here at verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. If you're in Christ, what does He do to you? He makes you complete in Him. He blesses you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Come back to Romans 3. Look at verse 25. Verse 24, sorry. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know that there's only one message for the world today. There's only one message to the world today, and that is he freely, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what the world needs to hear. They don't need to hear your political view. They don't need to hear your non-political view. They don't need to hear any of the babblings on that you go on about. You know what they need to hear? They need to hear verse 25, whom God set forth to be a Propitiation, boy, what a wonderful Bible term. A, propi- a fully satisfying payment. You know, the, you know what a propitiation is? They're, they're, I love that, redeem. You go in and you pay the debt. You redeem it. Propitiation, that, that fully satisfying sacrifice. That payment that satisfies all of the debt. There's nothing later to come up and say, ah, you didn't quite do that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever paid something off and then they come back the next month with another bill because you missed an int- piece of an interest because you were right on paying it off? I, you've done that, I've, okay? And you go, wait a minute, I was done. No, you got this little bit more. None of that is done. It's paid for. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who satisfies the failure, the guilt, the shame, that sin produces in humanity. He's it. No one else. But what I want you to notice is notice that God, that's the Father, has set him forth to be, set forth, put him on display, open shame, open display. Through what? Faith in his blood. God the Father had faith God the Father believed that what His Son accomplished at Calvary for all of humanity is and was enough. And there's nothing to be added to it. There's nothing to make it any better. It's complete. It's done. And when we agree with the Father, then guess what we'll be? We'll be right. When we disagree i.e., add, we got to help him out, then we're wrong. The rest of that verse, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past, that's not your past sins. Your sins of Calvary were future. That's the past, that's time past. 
through the forbearance of God, how did God the Father look at David and say, you're forgiven? He's an adulterer. He's a murderer. He's a louse of a dad, King David was. How can that be? That David wasn't dragged outside of the city and stoned to death for just those two charges? Because that's what the law required. You know how it is? The forbearance of God. David understood who he was, king. He understood the Davidic covenant promised to him. He understood that God had made a agreement. He understood some things. But you know what? That's nothing here. When David in the next chapter were, were Psalms 32 and Psalms 103 where Paul quotes it, Blessed is the man into whom the Lord will not impute sin. That has nothing to do with the Davidic covenant. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with David responding positively to the word of God to him in the moment. As God told Nathan to tell David to go do some things. As God told Nathan to tell David that, you know what, David? That boy you're going to have with Bathsheba isn't going to make eight days. You know why? It has to, he's only going to make seven days and he's going to die. And he's dying because of your sin. And that's who you are, David. And that's why David would say, against thee and thee only have I sinned. You see, David had a contrite heart. David had a heart of faith. And it's a faith response to God's word that through the forbearance, what does the father know? He knows Calvary is coming. And what the old timers used to say about the, on the credit of the cross, the Old Testament saints looked forward to Calvary, is wrong. The Old Testament saints had no idea about the credit of the cross. The father did, though. The father knows that Calvary's coming, and he believed that his son would carry out and go to the cross. Before the cross was a reality and the debt paid, the father knew he believed his son would do. So forbearance, forgiveness was based upon that, the credit of the cross. Now verse 26 to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that's today. Guess what? He's the just and the justifier. It's all paid. The just. I love that. Talking about who he, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Just. That's talking about his character, his justice. God cannot arbitrarily just forgive sin. He can't just arbitrarily do that. He can't show a favoritism to one over another. Why? He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. And His holiness and His justice demands perfect righteousness of all. And that righteous standard will not allow Him, His righteous standard does not allow Him to just, I will forgive that one and not that one. and do, Uh-uh. His righteous standard holds him just as it holds you and I. He's just in dealing with sin. How? Equally across the board. It's, a, it's unto all. And justifier. <laughs> Look, man, you and I can't make our own way to heaven, folks. You can try all you want, but you can't get there. He's the only one who can provide the propitiation, the justification, the redemption. God can justly deal with all of our sin. He can declare us to be righteous. Why? Because He paid the, paid the debt. That's a great thing when you understand that your sin was not just overlooked. It was dealt with. We got a phone call the other day at the house. Apparently, we overlooked the bill. We never got the bill. Try proving that. We owed them money. It's a bill. But now we got penalties, and then because it's a bill, you know, a lot late. <laughs> Your sin will never do that. Call you up one day and say, hey, you owe me. It's done. So verse 27, where is boasting then? No bragging allowed. 
It's excluded. By what law? What part of the Ten Commandments excludes you from being a part of the equation? By the way, none of them do. They all require you to be a part of the equation. Is it excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. No work. Faith alone, chapter 4, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for, for righteousness. You know what? Faith. Believing. Faith. Newell said, faith is the only thing you can do without doing anything. Faith is not a work. Your faith, trusting Christ, isn't you doing anything. It's trusting what he did. Therefore, verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Wow, the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's my gospel. You know, no one ever said any of this before Paul. There's the power of God. Again, not external, it's working inside of you. That's why Paul will come, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And say to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. There's religion. There's the good words and fair speeches. There's the stuff to make you feel good. There's the stuff to not say you're a sinner on your way to going to hell and lost. If you're here today without Christ, you're on your way to hell, and your ultimate goal is the lake of fire where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, and that's eternal separation from God. Oh, don't say that. You'll offend somebody. That's wisdom of words. Pull off of the offense. Pull off of the ugliness. Pull off of the violence of the cross. Can't talk that way to people. Baloney, you better be talking to people that way. Why? Because that's what is that smack in the face spiritually. Wake them up. Don't physically slap anybody, okay? Because then you'll be calling me from jail and I'll have to come and deal with you, okay? It isn't that. It's wake them up spiritually to the fact of where their eternity is going to be. In a lake of fire where the fire is not quenched. It's a salting fire, Mark 9 calls it. A preserving fire where their worm, the degenerative nature of sin, takes you down to that red-hot white maggot of a worm. Ooh. And there's just going to be piles of it. Paul says, you know what? I come to preach the gospel not with some fancy word game. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Calvary is to have an effect on your life. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God to work in your life is in the gospel. It's in what Christ accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Everything we have here, folks, starts in the cemetery. It starts in death because it's his death. The cross, the payment, the putting away of your sin, and the resurrection, the giving of his life. You see, Calvary makes you free. The giving of his life makes you free. But then he comes along and he gives you his life to go live. You see, the reality of the cross plus the reality, I'm sorry, the finality of the cross Plus, the reality of the resurrection is life in Christ. Because you're dead, and then he sets you free. Come over to Ephesians chapter 1. You see, it's a gospel you can believe. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to shake my hand. We're not going to have an altar call. We're not going to have Andrea come and play just as without one plea and boo, you know, 80 verses to get half the church down front or any of that hoodily do's nonsense. Faith is between you and God in the privacy of your heart, in the privacy of your thinking, in the privacy of your life, where you say, Father, I trust you. I believe you. And that's it. There's no sinner's prayer. There's no falling down, repenting. Oh, I'm a sinner. He knows you're a sinner. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for you. You don't have to tell him something he already knows. You have to do that yourself. Faith is a private matter. Ephesians 1. Look at verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13. 
in whom we also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I want you to notice something. In whom ye also, what? Trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye, what? You what? You can talk to me. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. Ye believed. Do you see how trusted and believed are interchangeably used? Because that's what you're doing. To trust, to believe, is to rely upon. It's to commit yourself to it. Come over to first, 2 Timothy 1. 2 Timothy 1. And when you trust, when you believe the gospel, Christ died for your sins and was buried. He took away the sin issue and then was resurrected. And through the newness of life and the resurrection, he gives you his life. So now you can go and live as his ambassador out in a perverse and evil and crooked world where you say grace and peace. And when they go, huh, what is that? You say, look, God died for you. Christ died for you. He was buried and rose again. And you, in the privacy of your own heart, where faith is the most intimate issue, Just trust him, believe him, and believe his work and what he did. Now look at 2 Timothy 1.12. For the which cause I also suffered these things. Now watch Paul. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And that day is the judgment seat of Christ. Notice what Paul says. I believed. I've committed unto him. I've committed myself into his hands, into his arms. I believed, believed, committing, trusted, believed, committing, all associated and together. I've committed. I've taken my life and I've put it into his arms, into his hands to be my Savior, to be my life. To be my mindset, to be my all in all. I have turned myself over to Him. I've committed myself to Him. I'm relying on Him. You know why? Because I'm His and He's mine. And His life became my life the moment I trusted Him, the moment I believed Him, the moment I said, Not I, but Christ. I don't get the hoo-hoo-hoo or the zap of whatever. It's It's in the faith. And it all starts with us trusting him, committing ourselves to his safekeeping. And the more that I grow and the more that I learn, it's then the more that I begin to trust him and his work. And the more I learn and the more I grow, the more I... Well, boy, Paul says it. Time's up. Just look at Philippians. I I think about this passage quite often, Philippians chapter 3. When we talk about a gospel that can be believed. You see, folks, the gospel has nothing to do with you and your activity or lack of it. It has everything to do with what he's done. Philippians 3 Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. All those stuff up in verse 5 and 6. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Here I am. The more I grow, the more I learn. You know what I'm counting? All that stuff is just dung. You know what dung is. Just loss. Why? That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. I may attain, verse 11. I press towards the mark. Verse 13, I count myself to have apprehended. He says, you know what? Just as I think he's, I'm getting there, I just, there's just some more 
and there's just more, and there's just more, and all of that starts with a gospel that we can believe. You and I are sinners. We come into the world this way, for by one man sin entered into the world. And as we come to the acknowledgement of what's right and wrong and what's good and evil and make those choices in life and what's presented to us is why we choose bad over good is because of sin. God didn't leave us hanging. He says, I got an answer for you, and it's my son. And what my son did was he died for you. He took away your second death. He took away eternity in the lake of fire. And all you have to do is really do nothing but trust me, believe my word, trust my word, commit yourself to my hand. Again, if you're here this morning and you're not on, you know, know for sure that you're going to spend eternity, why not do it today? Honestly, you don't, again, you don't have to walk an aisle. You can ask questions. There's people all over this room will sit and talk with you. But you need to know for sure that if you were to die today, because guess what? Life is short. It's very fleeting. It's very minute. James calls it a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. You need to know that if you ever took your last, when you take your last breath, if the Lord tarries, that you'll wake up in heaven's glory. Not at the pearly gates, by the way. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Boy, what an assurance. How do I get there? I get it by trusting Him and Him alone. And again, you're not walking an aisle, you're not shaking my hands, you're not saying, you may say, hey, I need to talk to you, and we'll do that. But the issue of a gospel to believe, Paul's my gospel, all the other gospels have you doing something, have your activity, and, and three-quarters of them aren't even written to you, have nothing to do with you. Paul says, I'm here talking to you, and how you get to heaven is by trusting that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. And when you trust that and you believe that in your heart, you move from death to life. And there's a life now to go and live. And that comes from studying a book to study and a study to understand and a life to go and do and a purpose to fulfill. But it all starts right here at the gospel. We ought to stand for that. We ought to be, that's why it's number one. <laughs> why? Because it's where everything sits and hinges that foundation of Jesus Christ. Got to think about that. Your eternity depends upon it. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for Calvary, for you where you went and died for the sins of humanity, for you providing the redemption, for you providing the justification, for you providing the rest of our lives. We thank you for that. And we thank you for the trust and the commitment to go and do that. And as we then trust and commit to you, that it would be the same for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand and be uh, dismissed.